0: Hi, welcome to the Art and Science of Learning, the podcast that digs deeper in how we learn so that in today's accelerated world we can learn better and enjoy it more. I'm your host, Learning Specialist Dr. Kinga Petrovai. Every week I discuss aspects of learning with academics, practitioners, and individuals with unique learning journeys to inform and inspire how you design learning into work and life. Reskilling and upskilling have become the leading trend in the field of learning and development in the year 2021. With the start of the pandemic in 2020, learning and development has had an unprecedented year in a variety of ways. Focus in the field has sharply moved away from the leading trends of the past, which have included artificial intelligence, virtual reality, and learning analytics. To discuss the latest trend in workplace learning, I'm joined by a leader in learning technologies in the workplace. Donald Taylor is chair of the Learning Technologies Conference in London, the leading workplace learning event in Europe and one that he has led for the last 20 years. He was also chairman of the Learning and Performance Institute from 2010 to 2021. Donald is the author of the book *Learning Technologies in the Workplace* and many articles. In 2007, he received the Colin Quarter Award for services to training, and in 2016, an honorary doctorate from London's Middlesex University for his services in learning and development profession. Since 2014, Donald has run the Learning and Development Global Sentiment Survey, which provides valuable insights to leaders of organizations and learning and development professionals. It's a pleasure to have Don back on the podcast to discuss the results of this year's Learning and Development Global Sentiment Survey. Thank you so much, Don, for joining me today.
1: It's great to be back.
0: So, you have created the Learning and Development Global Sentiment Survey, and you created that back in 2014 and have been running it every year since. So, I'm really Excited for you to come and share the results and the unexpected results of that survey for 2021. So the one question, this is a one-question survey, very unique. And the question is: what will be hot in workplace learning in 2021? This is very simple, very effective way of highlighting what's coming trends in LND. So, can you give us a bit of an overview of what the global sentiment survey is?
1: Yes, I have to. Uh, just question whether it is an effective way of telling us what's coming in terms of trends. It's an effective way of judging what some people think is going to be important, Mm -hmm. but that may not actually happen. And -hmm. I think it's important to bear that in mind, because that's the rationale behind the survey, actually, is to take the pulse of what people think is important, but it's not all people, because it's a self-selecting group of people who respond to the survey. And, And that's the point. The point is to get the pulse of the people who are excited by what's new, understand what they think is hot now, and these people are the innovators, they're the early adopters, the people who will influence what later gets more widely adopted. It's not the case that everything these people think about is going to be important this year or in three or four years' time, but it is the case that in three or four years' time, what the early majority choose to adopt will be from among these things that were thought of as being interesting now. So that's the point of the survey, to try to get a view of what's going to be coming down the line in a few years' time.
0: Mm, absolutely. And it's it does cut through really well in the fact that when you ask someone, what is your priorities, companies have this tendency of giving a huge <laughs> laundry list of priorities and things that they will do. So this kind of cuts to the chase. So this year, it was using the word "unprecedented" is extremely overused. <laughs> but you, your, <laughs> you yourself have said that this was a very unusual result for the survey. You yeah. put reskilling in as a new entry, and it shot to the top with a greater percentage of votes than in past number one. Yes, this year number one received a far greater number of votes. So reskilling and upskilling was the new entry. So tell me more about how the results of the survey were unusual for this
1: year. Well, that's the big one. I mean, it, it, reskilling, upskilling came in at number one. We've never had a new option going to number one. As I said in the past, it's, it's typically been a battle for supremacy between personalization and collaboration. Those two have been vying it out for, for, for being number one. So that was unusual enough in itself. But the other unusual thing was that it got an unprecedented Size of vote. The mm-hmm. as I've increased the sample size of people who vote on the survey, the curve mm-hmm. or the distribution has flattened. So it's required fewer votes to get to the top. Mm-hmm. So last year it was ten point four percent. I think was the first was the was the score of the top option. But this year it was thirteen percent, which we haven't had since two thousand sixteen. Mm-hmm. So that chronologically it was a big vote. Geographically, it was big. Of those six regions I mentioned, five of them. Put reskilling and upskilling at the top, and they and they were very tightly distributed as well. You could throw a handkerchief over them. The from the top, from the most popular to the least popular of those of those five regions, it was a, a spread of one point five percent. In the past, we've had options which have been hugely popular in North America and much less popular elsewhere. Not not the case here. And then finally, although there's only one required question in the survey, which is what's hot this this coming year. There is also a couple of additional questions this year, one on where do you work, Mm -hmm. another one on what impact will COVID have. For the five areas where people could work, which was workplace learning and development, working for themselves as a freelancer or a consultant, being in education or being a vendor or other, in each of those five groups, reskilling upskilling was number one. Hmm. So basically the consensus was, was there. And I think we're going to have a discussion, if I'm right, uh, Kinga, about why on earth that was the case and, and what does it all mean?
0: Exactly. What does it all mean? Because I think the first question that comes to people's mind when they say it's a workplace learning uh, survey. And isn't that what workplace learning is about, reskilling and upskilling? So what does this mean? What, <laughs> uh, what, what is this telling us?
1: What's going on? <laughs> And I have a certain amount of sympathy with people who say, "Don, this is ridiculous. You're asking people what's hot, what's not, and they're saying their job is hot. And I think I think it tells us a number of things. Firstly, the unanimity is extraordinary. I've never had anything which has been so uniformly supported, mm-hmm. with the exception of a couple of areas. One is Brazil, where it, it wasn't number one, and another is the Nordic countries, which I'll talk about in a second. So... There are, there are geographical reasons why people might not vote for something. But uh, overall, there was tremendous consensus. And why is that? So the first interesting thing is that it shows how people can be subtly nudged and persuaded into how they express things. If I'd put reskilling and upskilling in the survey three years ago, it would not have been a hot topic. So why was it a hot topic this year? It was a hot topic this year because we have been drip fed the dialogue and the language around reskilling and upskilling for the past two years. A lot of people talk about it now in terms of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But in fact, the first interest in reskilling and upskilling happened in about January 2019. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the whole of 2019, there's a whole bunch of reports coming out about the future of work, automation, AI. And it's all about how jobs are going to change. So people need to be reskilled and upskilled. Then you get through. And the last of those is a very influential report in January 2020 from the World Economic Forum called the Reskilling Revolution. That was it, the Reskilling Revolution. So, a huge report, very influential, made everyone talk about reskilling. And then we had the pandemic, and we took the same vocabulary, the same language, and we shifted it onto the impact of the pandemic. You couldn't move really in 2020 for people talking about this. Now, When I ask the question, I deliberately run this survey so that people can do it in a minute or less, if they're a native English speaker. Mm -hmm. And typically about half of the people do do it in a minute or less. Mm -hmm. When they do that, the idea, the whole idea of the survey, is to get a gut reaction, a pulse check, Don't tell me what your budget is, don't tell me what you're planning, because I know from experience of surveys that actually those surveys don't represent reality. They're a gloss on what people imagine is going to be reality. All I want is you to give me your gut reaction, because I know I can work with that to predict what's going to happen in the future. Fine. The gut reaction involves people plucking a word out of the air, and the word doesn't come from nowhere. It comes from what I call a slightly made-up term. The ambient wordscape. The ambient wordscape of the words that surround us. Use that word based on what you've been hearing. And if you've been hearing something for two years, of course it's going to dominate. And so given that word, given also some other circumstances, they chose it. So firstly, I think it shows interestingly how we can be persuaded by the words around us. But secondly, I think it also shows what was on people's minds. Because yes, it's people's work but there was really a lot of reskilling upskilling going on and will continue to be so this year. So just to be clear what we mean, reskilling is new skills for a new job, upskilling is new skills for your current job. Lots of upskilling taking place. From people I talked to, they are flat out and the text answers to the questions which I asked, how will your work change? The greatest, The greatest single thing on that was firstly, we're going to be doing everything digitally, the second thing was, we're going to be helping people work digitally. Mm-hmm. So th- that's the upskilling piece. We're going to help people work digitally. Uh, and it is big and it is real and it's happening. And by the way, you know, when you ask people for a free text question, you don't expect to get a lot of people answering and you don't expect a lot of, a lot of words to come through. They, people were very voluble in the answers to this and almost half the people responded. In the end, it was 24,000 words of response to this, which is like the length of... Dr Jekyll and Mr Hyde so it's a, it's a very it was a lot of reading to get yes. through to sense it and so what you get there is that actually people are really sharing a real reaction here that they really are doing this stuff and it's not just that they're doing it but they're doing it and it's new that's the point so yes of course reskilling upskilling is our job but what we're doing is precisely new stuff and as well as the upskilling I've got to help people build, learn digitally Big reskilling programs nationally, uh, sometimes internationally, to help people move to new jobs. And that's real as well. Less of it, it doesn't affect so many people, but mm. where it happens, like in banks with tellers having to move from doing face to face work to doing new jobs online, that is real reskilling work that lots of people are doing. So, yes, firstly, we can be, be persuaded of something, but secondly, it does reflect really what's happening. And then the third part of this, There are only three things in this list, King, don't worry. The third part of this is that it doesn't leave space for other things, and that's reflected on the table. This thing at the top, hammered in, Mm. pushes all the other options down, and in particular, the sexy technology stuff that everyone was shouting about two and three years ago. VR and AR, um, artificial intelligence, that takes a beating and really comes down the table. So, uh, and and that's not because people don't think it's interesting. It's not because it's not useful, not because it won't come back in the future and it will, but it's because people are flat out working. They haven't got time to think about this stuff. They don't have time to think about it. It's not hot. Show it to one side, get on with the job.
0: Very important points. I like what you said. It didn't pop out out of nowhere. And actually last year we spoke about this on the podcast when I spoke to you about the fact that with all of the new technologies, the way the world is changing faster and faster, workplaces do need to adapt better and quicker. And that means they have to focus on how they do professional development in the workplace, how they learn in the workplace. And of course, that's been talked about for a long time with uh, mixed results of how well organizations are doing it and, and how much they're doing of it. But that brought together by this sudden extreme shift of now I must teach Everyone had to work from home and collaborate from home really skyrocketed that uh, answer yeah. to the top. So in practical terms, what do you think this means for workplaces? workplace? Is it something that is just temporary or is it something that is resonating something for the future?
1: Well, both. It's temporary because we'll never have to, I hope, go through such a huge mm-hmm. amount of reskilling again. Yes,
0: absolutely. And
1: upskilling. But it's also potentially resonating for the future giving longer term impact potentially because there is a shift in how people work and I won't bore everybody with stuff they've heard before but think about how we work and how we learn I do a lot of board meetings and frankly I like going to London but going to London for a board meeting takes one and a half hours out of my day Mm -hmm. at each end of the meeting that's three hours gone. That hasn't happened for the past 12 months. Why should it ever happen again? Same is true for most training as well. Mm -hmm. Up to January, 2020, from about somewhere in the middle of 1999, when the term was invented, e-learning had shifted from being zero to being about 50% of how much training was delivered.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. It went in four months from being 50% to being 100% of training delivery taking Mm. place online. Mm -hmm. That's not gonna go back to 50%. Of course, we will have more face-to-face stuff going on, but it's not going back. And why should it, when we've shown that actually it's quite possible for people to learn stuff very often more effectively online, synchronously and and asynchronously than it is by pulling people together. Mm -hmm. And it's not just that we've shown it, it's also that this is a change that's become part of people's lives in every other aspect. So mm-hmm. why would you have to fly? I was talking to somebody literally half an hour ago. Why would you have to fly everybody in the world who are your agents into Paris for some intensive meeting and then fly them out again? Well, of course the answer is because it's a great city to go to, uh, but that's not quite enough. There will be reasons for bringing people together physically and there'll be very strong, powerful reasons that will warrant the cost of it in terms of money and time. But generally, no, it's going to happen differently. So. What's the implication of that? For me, the key implication is not, oh good, we've now got e-learning. Because the danger is actually, e-learning becomes a cost-driven commodity, online learning, learning digitally, however you call it, becomes a cost-driven commodity. Rather, I think in 2021, we have a window of opportunity that's been opened by this for learning and development to say, we have adapted very rapidly to a changing world. We did a great job and we worked our socks off for 2020. At some point in the future, we're going to be working forward in a new way. In the middle, we are going to consciously adopt new ways of doing things. So we're going to take what's happened. We're going to throw out the stuff which we did new because we had to and actually doesn't work like six hour Zoom classes. We're also going to throw out some bad practice that just came with the baggage of doing courses anyway. Why do you have to give people a course? You don't always. And we're going to start building a better, more effective way of helping people by using everything at our disposal. And by the way, I mean, that's the first level, which is to get our house in order. but the second level is to have a discussion with the business. By the way, we're going to talk now strategically about learning as being part of the business. You've seen how important it's been to get people able to work in this new circumstance. Think about what else we can be doing. Mm. And that's where we have an opportunity, but it's not going to be open indefinitely I don't think it may even be open beyond the end of the year it might not even be open beyond October or November there's a short window and then as people start returning to work physically in bits the old ways will return this is the moment for people to be going to their bosses and saying you know what we've got to talk we've got to talk about strategy because we in learning and development can help you realize that strategy but you've got to have a conversation with us that isn't about ordering a pizza that's called a training course Mm. that's not what we do We help you deliver the best thing this organization needs, which is effective people. So help us do it and we can help the organization deliver on its promises.
0: Mm, That is incredibly important because cost-driven is such a danger of people saying, oh, well, this was cheaper.
1: Fantastic.
0: Let's just slap it online and tell people we're doing online learning, which is very easy to do. That's the danger of educational technologies, is that it is easy to do that. And it's extremely dangerous because it's extremely ineffective and really backfires in a lot of ways. So I, I think that is such an important thing that you're saying, that there's a short window of opportunity and to open that
1: conversation. And there's a downside to it as well. If we don't do it, then we're going to get caught in the trap that we caught, we're caught in after 9-11. In 2001, when the Twin Towers came down, all traffic, air traffic was stuck at, stopped in the US and people were no longer able to travel for for training. Mm -hmm. And so people, this was the beginning of the world of e-learning, took their PowerPoint decks, put them online, stuck a click next button onto it. And that was the adapt phase. They were were adapting to the shop, but they never went through the adopt phase. They never Mm -hmm. went through the business of saying, all right, we did that. That got us through a few months of hell. Now we have to adopt a better way of doing this. And unfortunately, well, so sorry, that's unfair. Some people did, but by and large, we were stuck with Click Next Learning for the next, or the shadow of it for the next 10 years. And it was a lot to shake off. And it was, as you say, entirely, entirely cost-driven. Mm-hmm. Hey, you can, you, can, you can stick a PowerPoint deck up there. Great, all right, right. We'll, we'll fire two of the staff and we'll cut the training budget for travel. Brilliant, all right, now let's go on to the next thing. That's not the, that's not the strategic thinking. And to avoid that sort of thinking amongst the top people in the organization, that's why I'm begging people to go out and have those difficult strategic conversations now before we get before we get trapped in that way of thinking.
0: Absolutely. So actually, the reskilling, upskilling is not only saying that learning development professionals will be helping their organisation reskill, upskill, but it also really needs to reflect what the learning development professionals are doing themselves. They themselves need to reskill and upskill. To be able to take what is emergency online learning to effective learning, which combines a lot of online and offline elements.
1: Absolutely. And in conjunction with those skills of the, of the learning, making sure that you're having the conversations with the business. Again, it's a new set of skills, very often the consultative listening skills. But having those skills to be able to make sure that what you're producing is tied into the needs of the business. When you do that, then you're strategically important and you don't become a cost that can be cut easily. So... In addition to this
0: top spot, the second and third place in the results of the survey were collaborative social learning in the second Mm -hmm. spot and learning analytics. So collaboration had more votes than it did last year, but learning analytics actually fell from its place last year. So how do you think that this second and third place relates to reskilling being number one? Does that as a group mean something, do you think?
1: Yeah, let's talk about collaborative learning to begin. Uh, no, let's talk about learning analytics first, then we'll come back to collaborative. Okay. So learning analytics was at number one last year, 10.4%. And as you say, it fell down this year. And the reason why it fell down was it, part of the natural cycle of things. It had been the previous year, number three, it went up to number one, there's only one way from there, and that's downwards. And it's it's very much the Gartner hype cycle. Things get People get excited about something, and then we start realising it's a bit more complicated than they thought, and it starts coming down. So it wasn't a shock that it was on its way down, and it didn't fall too precipitously. It fell by less than 2%, 1.6%. Uh, so that was, it's not it's sort of a huge drop. And in fact, given how many votes reskilling and upskilling sucked up at the top of the table, it, everything was pushed down, apart from two things, which I'll come to in a second. So the fact that learning analytics fell wasn't too dramatic what it shows to me therefore is really it's holding up pretty well and it shows that people are interested in the application of data. By the way I've deliberately used the term learning analytics because that's the term people are using. I'm not convinced that learning analytics is the right term to use. I think really we should be talking about business analytics. We should be talking about how what we do in learning links in with the strategic intent of the organization. However learning analytics is the phrase that people will recognize so I think with learning analytics it's on its way down that's not too dramatic but it's it's just saying something about how we take it seriously we take data seriously still Mm. and and I think it's quite important that's still been taken seriously at a time when people are madly scrambling to do this reskilling upskilling stuff but the collaborative social learning thing is actually slightly more interesting because as I said everything else was pushed down the table in comparison with last year, apart from other, which is when people have their say, and that's not it's not particularly exciting. It's always at the bottom of the table. But the collaborative learning, which was number three last year, was with 8.3%, should bounce back up to number two with 9.5% is pretty extraordinary. Because, as I say, everything else was pushed down the table. So what happened there? There are a couple of regional things which I'll talk about in a second, but I think the key thing that happened in 2020, which is when we see people's thoughts reflecting in the 2021 survey, is that the idea of working and learning from each other went from being an abstract idea. Yeah, we should all do social learning to something that actually became a reality. Now, was it a properly realized reality? Was it social learning, collaborative learning done well? I'm not convinced. But what people in L&D saw was a lot of people using Zoom, Slack, Yammer, all the communication tools, and of course, Teams mm. in particular, because that's embedded in a lot of organizations right. uh, to communicate and learn from each other. This is the end of uh, uh, the next point in a, in a series of things that happened, really started off in 2006 with Jay Cross's book, Informal Learning, which revolutionized the way we think about learning. It became, that was the point when we stopped thinking about learning being something which was purely about instruction and people started talking about informal learning, social learning, collaborative learning. Of course, it had happened before, but in terms of people talking about it, that was a seminal moment, but still it was largely theoretical until last year when it became reality. Now, as I say, was all this being done well? Probably not. Was it all being done in an integrated way where people were were working well and learning well? Almost certainly not, but it became a reality rather than an abstract idea. I think that's why it hiccuped up. Why was it so popular in Brazil where it uh, topped the table. I've I've been having some discussions with people in Brazil about this, we haven't quite got to the bottom of it. But my speculation is that reskilling and upskilling was less popular in Brazil. So therefore more votes were available. And I think it was less popular because Brazil has been suffering economically for about three years with very high unemployment. So presumably that's already been a, a topic that's in demand. I don't know, and I'm still exploring that with some Brazilian people to help me out. Mm. But the other place collaborative link was extremely popular and therefore recently was, was, was less popular, was in Sweden. And uh, in Sweden, I did some special extra research in Sweden just looking at their data. I did a special survey just for them. It turns out that they view, I don't, I, I'm hesitating because I don't want to, to say anything that's too, that can't be supported by the research. So let me just tell you what the numbers are. The numbers in Sweden are, that reskilling and upskilling was in third position, personalization number two, but number one was collaborative and social learning with 12.4%. Interesting. Yeah, and the reason why that was so high, I couldn't get my finger on because I spoke to a whole bunch of Swedes about it in a webinar. And they said, well, we've got the, we've got the tradition of uh, folks building, of course. I said, what? Folks building. Well, folks building is a tradition that's existed for at least hundred years not just in Sweden, not just in Scandinavia or the Nordics, or, but actually goes down to um, Germany and the Netherlands, but it's particularly strong in the Nordics, um, where they have a tradition of people learning after formal education, and in particular from each other, using things like study circles to okay. informally learn from each other.
0: Right.
1: And so they said to me, look, reskilling and upskilling is less of a hit here because we're already doing it. We're doing it using this device. And of course we, we rate collaborative and social learning. So I, I read about folks building, discovered that of course, it has equivalents elsewhere, as I say, in, particularly Norway, uh, Denmark and Finland, where, which were other countries that I'd surveyed. I went to those countries, pulled down their results. It's only 65 people across those three countries. So we have to be careful about it, but it's still 65 people. Guess what? Number one in on that combination of countries is collaboration and social learning, 16.5%, which is a huge number. So there's a strong tradition there of people learning from each other, rather in the same way that when I do the Irish survey, coaching and mentoring always is very near to the top because um, I've discussed this with, with people in Ireland. They say, yeah, it's because we like to talk. I don't think they're being silly. I think there's a strong tradition of people Properly coaching and mentoring in Ireland, which perhaps we don't have elsewhere, which is why it remains always uh, very high on their list.
0: Interesting. So, do you think it was higher on the Nordic countries' list this past for this year because they need to do more learning?
1: So they said, "Well, this is going to be the tool that's going to be hot." Actually, I don't have the data to say. I've got I've got data from Sweden, and actually, it's. Collaborative learning is, is lower down this year than it was for Sweden last year, okay. probably because reskilling, again, absorbed some of the votes. Mm. Um, and I don't have the data, unfortunately, for the other Nordics to be able to say. It's very one of the frustrating things when you discover something, you think, oh, I need to go and look at the data. No, the data's not there. Mm. So you, you know what they say about building a tree? It's the same thing with data or, or planting a tree. Best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago and the second best time <laughs> is now. So it's the same thing with data. Well, I, I, I haven't got the data, yes. but I need to start collecting it now for these countries. But that's and very then, interesting. We'll, I'll come back next year and answer the question. Mm. fantastic
0: but that is fascinating that is really interesting and something to look into about how they do this type of collaborative learning because of course we know that and in my opinion that is really the future of how to create learning environments in the in organizations is to create those types of structured collaborative learning environments where we can learn from each other so that's really fantastic that they have that as part of their culture. And
1: and I think there's a, there's definitely scope for that now to combine with technology, because of course mm-hmm. the issue about the collaborative learning has always been past been that it's not scalable, but I, I'm yes. seeing lots of interesting startups right now doing stuff to help collaboration be effective at scale.
0: Yeah. Right. Oh, fantastic. Well, that's a really exciting things to come. So yep. apart from reskilling, rocketing to the top of the list, What seemed surprising is that the large inspirational ideas such as AI, virtual reality, learning analytics, among other things that we have all been talking about and excited about for the last few years, they really did fall and in some ways completely understandably because priorities had to change. But how do you interpret this shift? Do you think that this will
1: have implications for the future of L&D? Actually, no, I think, as you say, it's, it's understandable and it's predictable, and things do fall down into the trough of disillusionment on the Gartner Hype cycle, and that's what's happening here. And they've been given a good shove and a kick by the, by the pandemic. Mm-hmm. They'll come back. It's not that um, it's not that AI isn't' somehow less powerful than it was. It's more powerful right. with each month that passes. But what will happen is, rather than it being this vague thing we stick a label on called AI, it will be something behind what we're doing, so it will be the engine behind the learning experience platform, or the social learning platform, mm. or the coaching and mentoring. All of these are areas where AI is being used very effectively at the moment. Right. So we'll see it come back, and we'll see it come back under the hood, as the as the Americans say. Virtual reality and and uh, it, it is something that has tremendous potential, and not just for helping people replicate physical tasks i've seen extraordinary things being done with this in terms of facial recognition helping people learn how to sell or have interviews with people right uh, so there's there's tremendous potential there but it, it's full this year was inevitable given how busy people were doing other stuff absolutely it will be back so yeah. i don't think there are long-term implications it just shows us that hey we're human when reality strikes we get down and do the job and and we push the other stuff to one side.
0: Absolutely. So this shakeup in what became prioritized for learning and development, Mm. do you think that there's cause for optimism or not? How do you perceive the future?
1: Uh, Shakespeare says, there is a tide in the affairs of men which taken at the flood leads on to fortune. And he's right. We can be optimistic in the sense that, and let's not ignore the fact the pandemic is a horrible event that has uh, had tragic consequences. But there is an opportunity here. As I said earlier, there's an opportunity for learning and development people to restructure how we do what we do, using technology where it's the best thing to do. There's also an opportunity for us to restructure how we're perceived by the organisation and the role we play there. Don't think you get many of these opportunities in life. I really think it's that big. And I think if we are going to do this, we have to really go for it i know people will be listening to this podcast and say don't that's fine i'll go and get my cup of tea and i'll go back to my d- designing whatever i do right and do my job the rest of that quote goes we must take the current at when it serves or lose our ventures he says omitted remember this tide omitted all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries." Now. Fortunately, you won't be bound in shallows and miseries if you don't do this, but you have lost a serious opportunity if you don't go and knock on the door of people and say, time for us to talk. Time for us to talk about how we're using learning development in the, in the organization. And you know, if you're not sure what to say, get out on LinkedIn, look me up, look up Kinga, look up anybody else, talk to people in this field. How have you moved to taking yourself strategically? Because it's the most important challenge we have and the opportunity is now, and it won't come again for another 20 years. So let's strike while the iron is hot, while things have been shaken up and before the window of opportunity closes. Such an important... I've mixed my metaphors there a bit, King. I've gone from a tide to a window, (laughs) but I'm sure your your listeners are sophisticated. So
0: many very
1: important metaphors,
0: and that's beautifully, beautifully put. (laughs) It's absolutely beautifully put and such a critical takeaway and insight into the fact that people do need to act. So this is really a call for action. Mm. This is not a call for a few... The year is going to come to an end and yeah. we'll keep on going. This is a call for action. I don't, I
1: don't want to underestimate. I know people are exhausted. Exactly. It's been a long, long slog. No question about it. I'd give Make time for yourself if you possibly yes. can. Give yourself a break, take a breather, mm-hmm. and then resolve to stick to it and make some change.
0: Absolutely. Great. And there's nothing that is such an important point as well, because in order to be able to innovate, yes, you work hard, you go through crisis, but then you need a time to refresh designate a time to unwind and that's where the good ideas in the brain still come together is in that unwinding what you've worked so hard for and when the, you were going through the crisis in order to innovate you need a break and that's where the ideas come together in your own mind and you can have the energy to move forward that is a really really good point so what
1: are you excited about in LND space coming up I go through um, cycles of misery myself uh, and I think nothing is changing in this field of ours, help me! Um, And then I meet people doing fabulous things and I realise I'm talking nonsense. And what I'm excited about is what I'm seeing new stuff going on. I I am constantly amazed by the great work being done by organisations like Network Rail in the UK, putting data to use in really sophisticated ways uh, in, in fields which are serious. You know, if a train has an accident on the track, which Network Rail looks after, that is very serious. Yes. So this is not trivial. This is, this is a, a, a proper hard industry, and they're doing fantastic stuff with data to link training and mm-hmm. learning with um, actual actionable results and impact on, on the train companies. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing, use of data. Another thing I'm excited about, is how organisations are responding to what I call the unbound future. The future, we're living it now, but it's becoming more prevalent, is increasingly no longer bound to the rules of the past. You had to have an office in one place. No, you don't, not anymore. When you go to work, you go to work in a place. No, you don't. You work for an organisation? Yeah, you may do, you may not. You may be on a contract, you may have a contract for two or three years, drift in and out, be part of a pool of people working for them as we shift towards this unbound future, I'm seeing exciting learning development coming up to deal with it, which helps people, for example, who are in their 60s and older, uh, continue to learn at work, beyond work. Organisations realising that learning is not just about training people for business, but about their people. absolutely. Uh, organizations like Thames Water. Bizarrely, Thames Water is a utility company uh, in the UK. And you'd think nothing could be more staid and, and linked to the past than that. But I was chatting with a man in, front, in charge of learning the other day, James Willingham, and I, I said to him, who are, your, who are your competitors? Imagining he'd say Southern Electric or, or, or some other utility company. So our, our competitors are Google and Facebook. Hmm because our people need to be able to deal smartly with data and those organizations are the ones who are mopping up the people who are good with data so of course their job is to deliver water but you do that well by using data effectively recognize that in learning and development and you're on your way to developing a workforce for the 21st century and by the way his workforce is not based on the Thames Valley it's based all over the United Kingdom because again they're not bound to location anymore so the exciting things for me is how learning development is using the tools we've got right now to recognize and work with this future we're in
0: right well that that is really exciting and lots to look forward to well thank you so much don for sharing your insights and on what is coming up and what the survey reveals which is really really interesting and i really appreciate it and just before we wrap up I know so much that you read and watch that is inspiring. Is there something that you think is inspiring or interesting in this times? I I
1: have an an awful confession to make, which is I'm going to recommend two books. I'm looking for one on the shelf right now. Okay, good. Just one second. So two things. Firstly, I think it's really important to unwind. And I'll talk about that in a second. But first, I'd recommend this book by SN Masood, Science and Islam, A History. I, I, do, I do read quite a lot, and I don't necessarily read entirely in learning and development. And this is about how um, the so-called Dark Ages in, in Europe weren't really a Dark Ages. What was happening is, well, uh, while between the demise of the Roman Empire and, and the, the beginning of the Middle Ages, there was a period where science was, and, and algebra and, and mathematics were um, flourishing. In the Islamic world a uh, larger result of the of uh, Persian and other empires spreading from let's say Baghdad and possibly the the border with Afghanistan right the way up to Spain extraordinary story uh, and absolutely fascinating worth reading now I'm aware that all sounds a, a, a bit a bit uh, possibly intellectual a bit high and mighty so I want to make the point that r- relaxing is really important the other thing yes. I'm reading at the moment is my Hercule Poirot Agatha Christie omnibus, all the short stories of, of Hercule Poirot, it is brilliant, honestly. And I, it's like a cryptic crossword, right? You think <laughs> you're going in one direction, and you really think you've got it, but no, it turns out that somebody else did it. It wasn't it wasn't the glamorous heiress, but the butler in the corner. You never know. And <laughs> I, wonderful. you know, just in a few pages, she can she can describe this whole world. And I do think it's important to read a bit of fiction before yes. going to sleep at night because you just, for me anyway puts me in the mood of relaxing, mm. helps me knock back and makes me get up the next morning full of energy for the next day.
0: Absolutely. It is really critical and certainly challenging times makes that even more clear how <laughs> important it is. Well, Don, thank you so much. I mean, it's always such a pleasure to talk to you and, uh, and really insightful and really interesting to hear what you're working on. And thank you for sharing the results of Global Sentiment Survey and all the interesting things that it's telling us for what's coming up and what's happening in LND.
1: You can get quite a lot out of one simple question, can't you?
0: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's really brilliant. Thank you so much, Don. Great talking to you.
1: It's been a pleasure.